Welcome to a new podcast that we are potentially starting called Mind Your Business. My name's Tom and I'm joined with Mark Karegi. I'm 61 years old, neck deep in crypto and trying to talk to somebody who is at the forefront of Australia's creator economy. Tom, tell us how you got to have 10 million TikTok followers. TikTok is probably my biggest platform, almost at 10 million on there. And then all of them combined is probably like 12, 15, maybe. Don't really look at it. But um, yeah, it all started just posting TikToks. And how how many other follower people in Australia would have your sort of reach? Um, there's a few, but I feel like we all fall under a similar category where it's very international, very broad audience. But would you be one of five? Would you be picked for the test team of TikTok, the Australian test team of TikTok? Mark, I don't think I would be. You don't think you'd make the top 11 TikTokers in Australia? Solely because follower-wise, if we're talking about follower-wise, yes, but there's a lot that goes with it. Well, we're going to find out what the rest of it is. It seems very much to me like you might not be Bradman, but you'd certainly be an important part of Australia's test team in discovering what's going on here. Yeah. I kind of see myself as a little bit of Don Bradman, though. Do you? I kind of like the name. Well, there you go. Well, you need to find some way. It's Sir Don Bradman, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's Sir. Well, there we go. (laughs) Um, and my story is I've had a lifetime in media and private equity investing. Um, I bought and sold a lot of companies, had some measure of success, had many more disasters along the way. And I'm just fascinated to hear what's really going on in the ground at the moment yeah. with the Australia's creator economy. Well, it's safe to say we both come from completely different backgrounds, but I think that's like the best part for the viewer. They're going to learn something obviously from my age group, about business and vice versa, hopefully. Let us hope. Let's get straight into it. So, Mark, we're sitting down. Where have you come from to to come here? I arrived from Singapore and then before that I was in Dubai and then before that in London. All to come and see you, mate. To see me? Yes, absolutely. Why'd you pick me? You sounded like actually the person who genuinely was not just interested in building followers which you've yeah. clearly done extraordinarily before we go into anything in further details let's like unpack each other's worlds a little bit yeah tell me about yourself mark like, yeah so my idea is basically investing a dollar to in three or five years time get three or five years three or five times my money back yeah that's the business put money in help a business grow and then find a way to sell that business later. Yeah. And I've spent the last three or four years trying to understand this, what they call creator economy. And that's yeah. what I'm here to talk to you about, which is what does it look like from the inside? Yeah. Don't don't worry, Mark, we'll get, we'll dive right into that. But I want to like find out a little bit more, like what is like some big notable like projects you've done recently? Okay, well, over my career, the sorts of things that you would have heard about is there's a business called Formula One. When I was... I'm just... (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> it might have passed you by. Anyway, Formula One, when I was working at a big American private equity firm called Hellman yeah. & Friedman, we bought a third of Formula One for a period of time because yeah. we thought that was a franchise that really could grow. As it proved to be, we sold way too early. It's ended up being a huge success. Oh, Netflix help that. They did indeed. And that's a really, really good example of something yeah. that none of the existing guys could see that completely transformed that business. Oh. Another business that I invested in very early on was called Lonely Planet, the travel okay. guidebooks business that Tony and Maureen Wheeler started. And I was the yep. first outside investor in that business as well. And over time, I've invested in Fairfax, Channel 10, John Singleton Advertising, Indonesian television stations, yeah. outdoor advertising. Stuff so like. pretty much the entire world, uh, parts of it? Mostly everywhere. Asia, Australia and the UK. Okay. And working with Americans most of the time. Asia. It's one of my favourite places at the moment it, it, to travel to for right. food and content. Great. Well, as I say, one of my great friends, two of my great friends in the world, one lives in Singapore and the other one yeah. owns two big television networks in Indonesia. So we'll find a time to go and see a Komodo dragon together. Wow. Well, I haven't seen a Komodo dragon yet. There and now I hear cryptocurrency yes. is your big thing. It is indeed. As I say, small amounts of money and large amounts of time. And I think yeah. we'll get to why I think that's so important. Do you think it's because crypto has more potential to see like higher growth and higher money you can get back than like I think ASX now and stuff? It's all kind of like no, for me. I think it's about, it's a labor force business. It's not a capital force yeah. thing. I think it's going to change the way labor structures and people work employment wise. Yeah. I think you are a mug if you invest and try and buy and sell crypto yeah. coins. It's a bad, bad idea. Yeah. Tell me how you started. Yeah. And tell me what are the challenges in your business as opposed to your creative side today. I would say I started way before I actually created content. So I grew up with technology. And then when I started high school, they gave us laptops in year seven. So this was in 2012. And from year seven to year 12, we had these laptops that we would use every day in every class. And they brought in new subjects. So instead of doing wood tech, which is like wood cutting, they brought in digital tech. So I was able to learn the basics of like Photoshop and video editing. And at the time I didn't really think about it as anything. But then as I got older and I wanted to make content, that really helped me like start. And then the main thing with content and being a content creator is just, you just got to press post. And then from there, every single day, if you work a little bit more on it, you like, it's like anything. It's like a skill. The, the more you do it, the more you like perfect it, the more you're going to see success. So that's what like I feel helped me get my following the most was I was never stagnant with my like learning and growth of it. I was always wanted to dissect someone else's video, why that went viral, how did it work and try and replicate it. So that's that's that side of it of how like I built the following was just, it's always learning, it's always trying something new, never niche yourself down. And then that's probably the main thing with that. And what was the other part? No, no, can we just go back to one part of that? Yeah. So you were early on the tech. When you look at your success, clearly you've got a creative edge, clearly you've got a hard work and attention to detail edge. Would you say that you were better than other people at the tech side of it as well during that sort of year seven to year 12 area? Or were you 
okay at that and just better at the creative side? I was de- I'm definitely better at the creative side. Mm-hmm. That that kind of came over time though, but yeah, the actual skill, I feel like everyone starts off the same, has the same level. It's just it's how much you want it. That's what it came down to for me. Like I want to be better than like that person. I want to like achieve I want a million subscribers. I want 2 million subscribers. And I feel like if you're doing the same thing every day and not changing your niche or not changing your content, you're going to you're going to like not really like grow. You might maintain like a good audience, but that like continuous growth comes with like changing everything and continuing to adapt. And how much of that has been really micro adjustments compared to surfing big waves? So I think about the, you know, using an analogy, just do you tend that you have to catch a wave, then catch another wave, then catch another wave? Or do you sit there and say, no, it's all about being ready for a wave that I'm going to catch for six months or 12 months? I think it's the second part you're alluding to, but it's more about not thinking about the big goal at the end. It's just doing those small things every single day, like educating yourself a bit more, filming something maybe you don't think will do well on your account or like trying something new. These are all small steps that like help. Like with my video editing, when I first started, it was atrocious. No, no color grading, no like text on the screen, no zoom ins. Then over time, just zooming in, seeing what other people do, seeing what works, like that really helps. And I like put a lot of my like success and like my viral videos down to my editing that really carries like the video on the algorithm. And do you feel like if you were putting yourself against a sort of editing group that was a was that a will versus skill thing was it a natural talent have you got an eye for it or just for the people who are going to be listening yeah. to this they're going to be spending a lot more time thinking about what you're saying than yeah. I'm saying it, what it, advice it came a lot down to the cost of it so right. running this business like a lot of like we're going to go to a completely different topic for one second but it just Everyone thinks you're successful because you have 10 million followers. Like they just think you're automatically successful, but that's not how it goes. Like if you wanted to have a video editor, that's money that's going out. There's like all this other stuff if you wanted to pay people. So I film with my friend, I edit my own content and I have my like whole life. And those are two expenses that I don't have to worry about. But the only thing that it takes away is from my scaling aspect of it. I'm limited with my time every day which is really hard, but I feel like it's more personal. It's more me if I'm editing it and showing the story than if I'm getting other people involved. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's, that's the big thing. Okay. And so do you reckon now, you know, the things that you've got, let's just assume money rains down on your head. Yeah. Do you know the things that are actually going to, you're going to need to keep the reins on? to keep you being you or would you go out and experiment and say, okay, well, I'm going to bring in an editor and try that. How, how's success going to change the nature of how you go about doing stuff? I feel like it is, it is a pathway I want to look to, but I feel like I'm going to have to, all the knowledge I've learned over the last three years, I'm going to have to go out and teach someone Mm -hmm. and that could come in back in, pie me in the face. They learn all these skills and then move on and make more money or like, you know what I mean? They go mm-hmm. on to a new job because they've learned these skills. 
I've like, I've really come to terms with like what I do. And like, I'm just so su super grateful just to be able to say that like, I go out on the street and I film myself eating food and that's my job. Like that's, that's pretty cool to me mm. just to be able to say like friends in high school, parents or like looking around, like, is this guy like serious? You can do this like kind but of do stuff. Do they not understand that you've got your own television station? That if you, if they go back and look at some unbelievably profitable businesses yeah. in your grandparents' day, so Bruce Gordon, yeah. a whole series of these people, you hold, right, a, Reg Grundy, another profoundly successful Australia or Neighbours or something like that, the number of people who look at you each day or each week is enough for you to be a really, really important regional television station. Can they not understand that that's what you've been able to build in three years, which is a personal proprietary regional television station that when they were growing up was a business that made people prodigiously rich? Yeah, I think it was at the time where it was still new, like Facebook, Instagram were around and that stuff. But then when TikTok rolled around, it was just this whole new side of social media that a lot of the older generations don't understand and still don't understand. But it's really funny seeing it now, how much it's different, how everything is revolved around TikTok in this world, which is is different. And like, I feel like for me, my TikTok and my social media platforms are like my little like monopoly houses in like my like mm -hmm. my world which is kind of cool but it also is hard because i'm reliant on those platforms if that mm -hmm. makes sense sure which is which is a hard thing to like go into with like the finances of stuff and like the monetizing of stuff it's very low for short form creators mm -hmm. which in my opinion on it is going to change mm -hmm. as time goes because like a lot of creators will sit here and complain and be like, oh, I'm not getting paid enough for my views, but they don't understand the video is like 16 seconds long. Mm -hmm. Like how do you really think you're going to be getting the same amount of money from a 20-minute YouTube video? Mm -hmm. Which is why the whole creator economy and the people making products is like the new big thing. Mm -hmm. But doing that correctly is what a lot of like – personal people, like personal brands and influencers mm -hmm. are struggling with. Mm -hmm. And that's ultimately what I say is crypto might not, you might hate crypto and say crypto is not yeah. the answer, but the questions still remain, which is, okay, so you've got this immense personal following. You've got a challenge during your career about how you're going to monetize it. Yeah. The situation at the moment, as I think we said before, was if you... There are some solutions out there at the moment on a 80% to the creator, 20% to the platform or 90% yeah. to the creator, 10% to the platform like Substack model. And then there's YouTube, Insta, to, you know, which are 95 to the platform, 5 to the creator and something like TikTok, which is 99.9 .9 to the yeah. platform and 0.1% to the creator. And in fairness, TikTok hasn't been able to do a great job of monetizing itself compared to the others as well. So it's not quite an algorithm. But that challenge, even if you crypto does do what people want and it dies in a fire, we've still got this challenge where these monopolies are getting 
unbelievable amounts of the economic rents of creators like you compared to something like Substack, which is doing way better for the creators. But it's not relevant to you. Substack isn't going to help you. What is Substack? Substack is a platform for independent journalism. So okay. all of the people who are rolling out of the newspapers in the world are rolling into Substack and creating their own subscribers. Um, so you build, it's effectively somewhere between 50 and 500 bucks a year per subscriber. And it, you can do it for free and stuff like that. But what people tend to do is have some amount of gated content. So, you know, assume you've got a thousand subscribers, you can make 50 bucks minimum, 50,000 bucks a year. So that's been the model of a whole series of people. The most high profile one and the guy that meant that I moved across to actually buying a whole lot of my content online was a guy called Andrew Sullivan who got run out of a, a magazine called New York Magazine because he, you know, he was a gay guy, took on the whole, um, transgender debate, got his head handed to him because of New York and stuff like that, and then went to Substack. And then there's been a whole series of other people. And it's sort of, this is probably too long an answer to the question, but it bounced along for about three or four years where it was a nothing platform, didn't feel like it was good. Nobody knew whether that was going to work or Medium was going to work. And then suddenly over the last six or nine months, it's just been a rocket ship as all of the independent journalists have started to connect to each other on Substack. Yeah. And on the basis that 90% of the revenues get kept by the creators, it's just a way better mousetrap and you don't get any of the sort of risk at cancellation risk. Yeah. And Medium was the previous one of that, but it never was able to cross-connect in any way. Sorry to cut you off, but do you believe in cancel culture and that whole... No. I don't. I, I think, don't, and I, I think we're having a really interesting debate at the moment around what happened on the weekend with Hamas about the hypocrisy of a whole series of yeah. people who seek to cancel people in one area and then sit there and say it's all right to run over hate speech yeah. and tell people they should die. So, because like from the creator aspect, from me, like personally with cancel culture, I think it just benefits the person mm -hmm. in some ways i know if they're what they've done is horrible and bad like mm -hmm. it makes perfect sense but it triples their engagement mm -hmm. everyone's commenting liking and they don't realize that that is fueling the algorithm to mm -hmm. push them further out and they don't realize right. that well i want to come back and understand how it works because i look at it from obviously grumpy old man point of view right yeah and so i'm not in it i have a debate with my kids, one of whom's conservative, one is in the middle and one yeah. of whom's, you know, on the other end of it. And I still can't work out how exactly your point, the algorithm works to mean that the more extreme you are, the more you can attract people and get a better yeah. following. And so it's doing a bad thing for us. Roughly how most algorithms work in social media, it's like a point system. Right. So a share is worth the most points. Right. And then watch time yep. is like equal to that. So if you if someone watches your whole video and they've shared it, the algorithm loves that. Right. Like is probably the lowest form. That's yep. like one point. Comment is good because they're engaging and then people are like responding back or you respond back. So I look at like algorithms on social media as kind of like a point system. Mm -hmm. So like you want to aim for a share and retention. Mm-hmm. Share is like the hardest thing. You need something in the video that's going to encapsulate them enough to be like, oh, I want to send this to my friend. Mm -hmm. Like that's the biggest thing. 
but watch time really plays into video editing, mm -hmm. which I think a lot of creators don't really think about right? to the extent of it. Mm -hmm. YouTubers do. If we're talking about that, like yep. a long form, it's more retention. It's you need to attract a viewer for longer. But with short form, people are like, oh, it's 15 seconds. They're going to watch the whole thing. But it's not like that. It's just on how quickly they can just go on to the next video. So the first three seconds are the most important thing as well for the algorithm. And I've heard that about YouTube being um, important in terms of watching it to the end. I had no idea until you said it that actually it matters even in 15 seconds. Yeah. That, and how do you think about the share idea? So if, if you've got to actually leave some part of what's happening in your narrative yeah. at the end, I get that. But tell me about what are the things that actually mean there's a call to action to share it. Sometimes it can be supernatural. Like I've had instances where like I've paid for people's groceries when I did that during when COVID we were coming out mm -hmm. of COVID and you would get maybe film a negative reaction to it happening mm -hmm. and that like creates that moment that people want to share mm -hmm. and like oh look look at look at this video look at the reaction a lot of the other stuff can be like planted in the video mm -hmm. which people don't really think about like i could have one shoe on which mm -hmm. is might get a share like why is this guy wearing one shoe you know stuff mm -hmm. like that that the, the actual viewer isn't paying attention to but it's mm -hmm. been subliminally placed in there mm -hmm. and it's not it's not just a creator and like this is something new this is done in tv in movies like with products like mm -hmm. you watch a movie and they're drinking a coke like that's not by choice yes. it's that's paid to be there yeah. so stuff like that is really like do you realize before it wasn't like that like this famous rain man thing that was the free advertising for corners that was like they needed to pick an airline nobody yeah. paid for that that was the safest airline in the world and Qantas got you know millions of dollars of free advertising and then as you say somebody woke up and said no 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 we can get more revenue out of doing that and that's what I find fascinating about listening to you on TikTok I think we're at the same stage where there'll be stuff happening in your TikTok videos that is happening by chance whereas a couple of years on no one will believe you did it because you were experimenting. Yeah. Yeah, it is, it's very interesting, all that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. like the behind the scenes of videos. And it's like the one thing that creators don't realize as well and like people that want to be creators is like everything has been done before on social media. Mm -hmm. It's just about your like kind of like angle on it and mm -hmm. style, which is like I've personally had like a lot of problems with like people taking kind of like I would say, what is it? What's the word? They've kind of taken my video and just replicated it like word for word. And like at the start, I was like a bit annoyed about that. But then over time, it's kind of like I'm doing something right if they're copying. Mm -hmm. And like I think that that's a big discussion in the creator economy is like, oh, like what am I going to film? What am I going to like do? Like to people growing up that want to do content, it's like literally film anything and press post and just see what happens. That's the beauty of all these platforms. It's free, you download it, you post it. If you work at it, it could become a career. Like when I first started, I didn't look at it as a career. I just wanted to post videos and see what would happen from it. And then over time when the following grew and it turned into this whole ecosystem and business, 
it was scary. Like what's an invoice? Like, how do I do that? Like I need like an ABN now, like this is getting like serious, which was like good and bad. Cause it was making my, it was making it feel like work. And like, that's one thing I always try to not make it feel like I do it because I love it. That's the main thing. And I think that's why I was being able to be so successful is like, I'm not thinking about yeah. the money or the outcome. It's just like, it's just fun. Well, and as they say, follow your passion. It's yeah. the best way to make it work. So just, but talking about that, if, if you think about the whole question about making an income, one day, you know, cars, houses, yeah. normal things that you need, if you stick with this over time, do you feel like it's a disadvantage coming from Australia and doing what you're doing? Incredibly disadvantaged being here. Just because we're just not, we're, we're very far behind with social media, I find. And it doesn't also help with my following being not based in Australia, which kind of makes sense if I'm going to work with an Australian brand and I don't have that Australian audience. You know what I mean? It doesn't really make sense. Is it that because you've got an international audience, the Australians won't count the international audience? Or is it that they want the videos all to be sort of in Australia and you're meant to be sort of Ramsey Street? Mark, this is... This is this question right here I could go on for like an hour about. <laughs> Maybe another podcast. Like a lot of Australian brands, what they don't get with you, like American brands or overseas brands is they want to push for conversion straight away. And that's the biggest problem yeah. I find with brands in Australia mm -hmm. is I feel like I'm having to like educate them and kind mm -hmm. of tell them what should we should be doing. And I feel like I'm like offending them because, mm -hmm. yeah, a lot of brands in Australia will come like, oh, we want to. We want to push like a product and we want right. to give you a code and we want to sell it. But that, that doesn't work straight away. Mm -hmm. Like I've been to a few like breakfasts and they spoke about like marketing kind of stuff. And one thing that stood out to me was nudging and how that works from like a brand perspective. And that's what I try to tell these brands that they don't understand is like you working with creators right now and doing these campaigns is awareness for your product. You shouldn't mm -hmm. be like wanting to sell something like, would you rather watch a video where I'm trying something out and it's like my natural like reaction and it's like funny and I'm using it in my own way or me being like, oh, I love this product. Like would, you should buy it. Here's my code. Do you know when you're bringing your audience with you, when you're growing your audience or when you're going in a direction where your audience doesn't want to go? It's You, you obviously want to bring the followers along. And mm -hmm. like, I feel like I started going to Asia because of where my following started to grow from. Mm -hmm. I was more lean, lean, leaning to those countries. Mm -hmm for my audience, but then it was also for me as well. Like I haven't been there. Like I haven't seen much of the world and that's like a lucrative side to social media mm -hmm. that no one understands. Like it's all a tax expense, mm -hmm. which is great. <laughs> but yeah, I, it's a hard question because I like am now in my mindset of making content that I'm interested in. Like mm -hmm. I want to try a bunch of sports with my friend. I want to mm -hmm. try a bunch of food. It's more kind of for me and then like bringing them along like they're a mm -hmm. friend. They get like an insight maybe if they haven't seen that sport before or haven't seen that food before. If I did everything to what my followers want, I wouldn't be happy yeah. and I would just be make. I'd feel like I'm making what they want. Mm -hmm. But I feel like with my editing and with, I know my knowledge of making content and how to tell a story and how mm -hmm. to edit a story, 
I can kind of put anything together and it'll mm-hmm. be somewhat entertaining. Yep. So I kind of give my audience no choice <laughs> to answer right. your question. Yep. I've, I've gone from doing prank videos to like spreading kindness to turning the kindness into more of like challenge and more mm-hmm. like fun, not super serious. And then to now food and travel. Mm-hmm. And then the audience has come with the, you. Yeah, the audience is just... If if I get comments like where's the challenge video and stuff, I do do a good job at like mixing it up. Like so if they want a challenge video, I like incorporate mm-hmm. that, not fully die it off, which yep. a lot of creators do. A lot of creators might want to go into music or something and they have this big following from something else and they're like, oh, I want to do music. Mm-hmm. And then there's a massive disconnection with the audience. Like I didn't follow you for this. It's just about finding that balance. And how would you describe why they're following you like I, to me this you know watching but not understanding you've got a warmth and a humanity which is what shines through so your personality is a really really nice personality to watch i bring it down to i never take myself seriously mm-hmm. i don't care how i look in a video i don't care like what i'm saying if it's like cringe or whatever or it's goofy or it comes off to like whatever it works you actually, those moments where you think like, oh, I'm like, that's like, you don't want to watch it of yourself because you think it's a bit like cringe or whatever. They're the best parts that you don't understand the viewer wants to see, which a lot of creators struggle with, with like, they get a big following, they get an ego. They're like, oh, I can't do that because I don't want them to see me as that, you know, if, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, completely. I mean, it's a different way of whatever I got off the screen was exactly that, which is, hey, this guy's really comfortable yeah. in his own skin and he's a genuinely kind person. And even yeah. when he's teasing people with nappies and stuff like that, it's done in a nice way and doesn't have that edge that so much of America does. Yeah, and I get a lot of brands actually saying that to me when they want to work with me. It's like, we love your goofy side. We love that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I know you're super interested with crypto mm-hmm. and that goes in alongside with like Web3, yep. does it? Because yep. I'm, I'm not super... No, you can say it's so cringy and so No, no, crappy. I'm not going to... It's not that. It's I'm like kind of uneducated about it. Right, like okay. I know what Web3 is and crypto, but okay. not... Okay, so... And this is going to take a while. One more second. And yep. I'm asking you and you're... Yep. How much older than me? I am 61, <laughs> soon to be 62. And how old are you for the viewers? 24. Home? I feel like go. you should be asking me. Well, <laughs> it's one of those things yeah. where it is a conundrum. Why the hell somebody as old as me has ended up in this world? And the answer is that it's about questions. It's not about answers. I've spent three years in crypto and I realized I made common cause with a whole lot of really scummy people. And I've apologized on a number of occasions, but I apologize again. Yeah. So crypto is not what got created over the last 12 or 24 or 36 months, yeah? It's, in my view, a good faith attempt to solve some problems in Web 2 that we've discussed today in terms of how much the creators get for their work, Mm -hmm. how much the platforms get. And what I'd say is there's three, broadly, there's three answers to the questions of what's wrong with Web 2. The first one is suck it up. We're going to be in the world of worshipping the algorithm, algorithmic overlords from now until forever. You need to understand that you're in the thrall of Apple, YouTube, whatever, and that's how you're going to die, my son. 
Yeah, so nothing is going to change. Jeez. Yep. So that is one way where, oh, well, that's just how it is. We're going to keep on going. There's another idea that is, in my head, best described by two people, Corey Doctorow and Rebecca Giblin, who's a law professor down in Melbourne, and she's got a view and he's got a view that there's a sort of centralised regulatory superstructure that we can put into Web2 and fix it. And at some later stage, we can probably get her on a podcast. She's very, very clever, absolutely got a solution that's 180 degrees away from me and shares none of my politics, but she's smarter than me. And so we can deal with her answers to how to fix this problem. She basically calls it choke point capitalism, that why you're not getting paid legitimately for your work at the moment is there are these choke points in capitalism. We've got to find some way to solve that. My solution is much more as a consequence of being a teenage libertarian, right? So even when I was 16, not 24, I was like, no, there's got to be a way to let creators like you and people who are doing things that are good get more control over their own lives. And yeah. whilst it's, as I say, been delegitimized by the behavior of the people in it, I still think the essential ideals of Web3 are about that. They're about giving you more control over your own content. If you run back to 2008, where all of this started, yeah, effectively two things were happening, which was you had this massive, massive um, catastrophe in financial markets where a huge number of people saw their parents and grandparents lose their house because the world went into bailout Wall Street and left all the people in America who'd overborrowed with nothing. So individuals got chucked out of their houses at the same time as Wall Street got bailed out. And and the other thing that happened was there was the Copenhagen Copenhagen Climate Summit at that point where the world said, yawn, we don't care, and forgot about that. The only thing they cared about was bailing out 60,000 bankers on Wall Street, yeah? So a group of people who were in the computer industry that and the creator industry like you said, bullshit, we're going to change this. And this guy, Hal Finney, um, went out to try and figure out whether anybody could solve a computer problem called the Byzantine Generals. And this is a long story and I'm sorry about it, but it's important to understand that crypto started with a question which is, assume six of us can't trust each other, but we hate somebody else even more. How can we find some way to co coordinate our actions in order to storm the castle without allowing any of the six of us to double deal and connect with the guy in the castle and sell us out? That was the question. Can you cryptographically find a way to create trust in a trustless system? And when the Bitcoin white paper turned up on Hal Finney's inbox, that was when the answer to that question came. That meant that all of us have the ability to coordinate together and take on the algorithmic overlords. 
there are different ways to do it now. It's not just proof of stake. But the reason why I'm excited about it is it does mean we have the potential not to live in the tyranny of the algorithm. Yep. Wow. That was a lot. That was a lot, Mark. I feel like your world completely understood everything you just said and my world were just like, what is going on? <laughs> well, we'll try and come at it from just, a different... Just, uh, that's why I'm so excited about this podcast because they, like, I feel like I give that perspective when you speak about stuff like this to be like, what are you talking about, Mark? Like, Good. I need like one sentence. Okay, well, we'll try. So, like, <laughs> so on top of that... In one sentence or two sentences, how would you describe Web3? Taking control of your own life back. Okay. Wow. Well, we're going to wrap up this episode, but next episode, I'm pretty sure we're going to go deep into your world. Is that right? Might be your world first. Mate. Okay. We'll Think see. people care more about your world than mine. All right. That sounds good. We'll see you guys soon.